This morning we turn our attention now to the scriptures as we continue our series on the seven deadly sins, the glittering vices. And as we do so, I want you to picture a fire hydrant, a nice red fire hydrant out by the street. A fire hydrant is connected to water under great pressure, and it's that pressure, it is the force of the water that makes it useful, for it's the force that gets the water onto the fire. But it is also the pressure that can cause trouble. Mr. Goring, how about if you'll sit down there? Thanks. Folk are watching to see what you're doing or what you're <laughs> The pressure can do good or it can do harm. It is the pressure that puts water onto the fire, but it is also the pressure that may go out sideways in leaky pipes and undermine a street or get into a house and ruin a basement. It's the pressure in a fire hydrant that on a hot summer day on a street in Chicago turns into a glorious spray that makes all the children glad. And it's the pressure aimed through a fire hose at children marching in a civil rights demonstration in Birmingham, Alabama that does great harm. The force of the water makes the fire hydrant useful and makes it dangerous. Today we move to the topic of anger, of wrath, of rage. All of these are words to describe what is a natural human emotion. Unlike other things on the top seven list, envy, lust, greed, anger is God-given. It is a part of our makeup. Anger is the energy of self-protection. It rises out of our need for security to be safe. It rises out of our need for affection, for respect, that I am somebody. It rises out of our need for control, to feel that we have some effect on the world. When any of these get threatened or blocked, we get angry. So the energy of anger is normal. The problem comes in what we choose, and I do mean choose, to do with this energy. It is so important that it is the very first topic that Jesus addresses when he gets to the issue section of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come, offer your gift. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you're angry with another, you're headed for trouble. If you insult another, you're headed for trial. 
And if you dismiss somebody as worthless, you're headed for hell. Anger is a warning. It is a warning that trouble is ahead. And the misuse of anger harms our neighbors. It's so important that Jesus says we are to interrupt prayer or worship. If we find that a grudge is rising up on our radar screen, for a grudge is smoldering anger. A grudge is a fire that's about to break out. Jesus says we are to go and deal with that. And then come back to pray because we cannot love God if we hate our neighbor. And we cannot pay attention to God if we are fuming about what somebody else has done. Anger is normal. Lots of figures in Scripture get angry. Cain is angry at God. Moses is angry at the Egyptians. Jonah is angry that Nineveh has been forgiven. Isaiah is angry that the poor in Jerusalem are hungry. David is angry that King Saul has turned against him. God is angry that the people will not listen. Jesus is angry that the Pharisees have turned religion into blind rules and forgotten its purpose. There's a lot of anger going around. I was on vacation recently. And driving around in the car, I turned to a radio station I don't normally listen to, and the radio host was doing this, this shtick, this procedure that clearly he entered into every day, and I began to watch, listen to what he was doing. And the deal was this. He would find something out there in the world that he thought was incredibly stupid, and he would lift it up, and he would fan the flames, and he would try to get all of us listening to get angry with him. So he found a place where a child had been kicked out of school because in his science project there was a toy knife. No weapons are allowed at school. He was kicked out. So the host gets furious. He finds a place where a man loses his job because of some minor infraction that he thought was political correctness. And so there is outrage. He is upset that the president's wife has worn the wrong dress to some public occasion. The sky is falling. Now, as a public speaker who is trying to get people to, you know, nod with agreement, I noticed what his, his strategy was, not the topic, but his strategy. And the strategy was to pull me in, to get me to amen his anger, to get my blood pressure to rise, so that by the end of the radio show, I would feel this incredible connection to him and this incredible righteous anger at all the people in the world who weren't doing right. Clearly, I'm not on that list. It's all of them. His show was a pep rally for outrage. Anger is all around us. It is in all of us. It is a source of energy. And Jesus warns that it is nitroglycerin in a bottle. We have to be very careful with it. There's another scene that in the book we're studying, Glittering Vices, the author picks. It is found in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And the interesting thing about this is that both Jesus and the Pharisees are angry. The lead-up is... 
that it's the Sabbath. And on the way to the synagogue, Jesus and his disciples have picked some grain in the field and eaten it. They've had raw oats for breakfast. Yum. Well, the Pharisees are upset because this is harvesting. And harvesting on the Sabbath is against the rules. And they're upset that this fellow Jesus from wherever he's from doesn't know his scripture and clearly is not very pious. So they come into the synagogue, and they've already got their arms crossed and their, the scowl on. And then in Mark chapter 3, we read this. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. And then Jesus said to them, Is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. They were already so steamed up that they couldn't talk. He looked around at them with anger. Now the color has risen in the cheeks of Jesus. He's mad too. He was grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The fellow with the withered hand, a crippling ailment in a society built on farm labor, Jesus wants to do good for this man. The Pharisees don't care about this fellow. They are watching the rule book. Jesus takes his anger and heals the man and offers a rebuke to his opponents. He takes the energy of his anger and he does something good, but he also does something that clearly says the direction that he thinks this is all supposed to go that we are to love and care for our neighbors. Martin Luther King Jr. sat in a Birmingham jail, and he wrote a letter to express his anger, but the letter was not addressed to the segregationists. It was not addressed to those who actively enforced the laws of separating white and black people. He wrote the letter to the pious, middle-of-the-road clergy, black and white, who were accusing him of stirring up the trouble, who were blaming him for going too fast, who wanted him to quiet down. He was disturbing their peace. King routinely got angry at those who blocked the path to freedom and equality, but his goal was always the conversion of his opponents, not their destruction. He used his anger to do good. Jesus wants the Pharisees to see the suffering man as a brother, not as a problem for Sabbath regulation. Someone said, no other person created in God's image is a problem. He wanted them to see this they leave the room angry and use their anger to begin to plot the death of Jesus. And it's only chapter 3 in Mark's gospel. 
Jesus takes his anger on the Sabbath and he does something good. And that is also possible for us. I want to talk now briefly about what to do with the energy of our anger. Because it's there. First of all, do no harm. When we are angry, let us name it, recognize it, be wary of it, understand this nitroglycerin in a bottle. For anger always involves a decision. There's always a choice. There is the initial jolt. There is something that has upset us, threatened us, gotten in our face. There is the initial jolt, and then there is the decision. For example, let's suppose you're walking down the hall upstairs after worship on a Sunday. There are lots of people going by, and suddenly somebody bams into the back of you. There's that jolt, and your eyes flare, and you turn around. Now, if it's some sweet elderly person who has stumbled, immediately that energy is channeled. It's channeled into concern. Maybe it's even channeled into trying to catch the person before that person falls. The energy is there, but your choice is to reach out. All right, let's suppose you're walking along, you get banged, and you turn around, and it's that obnoxious jerk who in Sunday school made fun of your ideas, that person who routinely gets on your last nerve, the person you are least likely to want to speak to when going down the hall of the church, and that's the one who slammed into the back of you. You whip around, suddenly that anger, that energy goes in a different direction. It goes into a glare. It looks to kill. Maybe it goes into words. Maybe it it heads into a list that you're keeping of all the ways this person is just a crumb, which means it feeds a grudge. There's a choice. There is this moment of choice with anger, with the energy. So first of all, do no harm. Recognize what it is that's going on inside of you when it hits you. Name it. Look at the source. What was threatened? What part of my security, my respect, my self-image, my sense of control has been assaulted? In his sermon on pride two weeks ago, Chris Mooney reminded us that mistaken pride says, I'm in charge and things better go my way. Humility says God is in charge, and I'm in God's hands, which is a very good place to be. With humility, when we look at our anger, it helps us see which parts are worth addressing and which ones are not. It is possible to take that energy and do some good. Like the fire hydrant, the pressure can be aimed to put out fire to rescue people, to save lives. Something I have noticed, and, and only in the last decade have I figured this out, that when somebody gets in my face, when somebody upsets me, when there is some time of confrontation, and I leave and recognize, you know, all that stuff, that brooding, that, that gurgling that goes on in my gut when somebody's crossed me, if I leave and go and take that energy and send it sideways, if I take that energy and go home and complain to high heaven to my wife or go home and kick the dog or go home and dive into the refrigerator like there's no tomorrow, if I send that energy sideways, 
It undermines me. It makes it harder to go back. I've wasted the energy in the wrong direction. And if I will recognize what's going on, recognize that there was something in that situation that upset me, knowing that some of it is probably me and some of it is maybe them, if I will take that energy and use it to go back, because it takes some guts to go back to somebody and say, you know, the other day when you said this in that situation, that sent my blood pressure up. If you use it, if I will use it to go back, most of the time, something very quickly turns in the right direction. Half the time they go, I didn't know I said that. Did I say that? I'm really, if I said that, I'm really sorry. Sometimes they say, yeah, I did say that. That wasn't the best way to do it, but I need to talk to you about this thing. And then we find that there's something we need to talk about. Almost never do they say, I ain't dealing with you. Go away. Routinely, if I'll take the energy and go back, and especially if I let them talk first, this is a trick. You can, you can, you know, this is, let them speak first. You know, the other day when we had that situation, what did you think? Because I hear what's happening with them, and then I know which part probably needs addressing and which part they didn't even intend or didn't know they said. They're speaking first generally means that they're willing to let me speak. Anger is normal. It's God-given. It is just part of our reflexes that we're going to protect ourselves. But when we use it to do good, then there's something new in God's creation. Like a man with a withered arm who now can take part in the community. Many years ago in this congregation, there was a woman, a young Navy wife, and her husband was being held as a prisoner of war in Hanoi during the Vietnam War, and she became angry. She became angry at what she perceived to be the disregard in the higher levels of government about the suffering of these prisoners and about the concern to get them home. And so she took that anger and she began to organize and she began to speak out and she began to draw people together to do something good. And it was the energy of anger channeled in the right direction that got that movement going. I think of people I've known over the years through my community organizing work. For example, here in Risk in Richmond, and these are people who get angry about systems of neglect and injustice and who use that anger not to attack their opponents, not to shout in the streets. Community organizing is not about making a lot of noise. It's about picking something that is out of whack for the poor and the neglected, the forgotten, and then coolly and calmly gathering people to go and address exactly that thing. Community organizing is about taking the energy that this is this just isn't right, the way these children are being treated in the school. This just isn't right that we want to build a, a baseball stadium, but we don't have enough housing for our citizens. This just isn't right that there isn't basic job training for high school graduates so that they can be employed in the growing medical field 
in our city. Community organizing takes anger and sends it in a good direction. And on April 7th, we'll have our next Nehemiah action where we're going to take 125 people from our congregation because this is important. Join with 1,000 people from across the city. Continue our work towards the Affordable Housing Trust Fund and a new effort for job training on Church Hill where the unemployment is over 25%. That ain't right, is it? 25% unemployment. We can take the energy and we can do something good. Finally, I think of God of the Bible who is so often angry that people created in God's image do so much damage, do so much harm to themselves and others. It makes God mad, and it is all through the Hebrew Scriptures that God is angry. The prophets of ancient Israel routinely communicate God's wrath about the way people misuse God's gifts to harm, to steal, to injure, so that their souls are withered. Their compassion is paralyzed. But the story says that God uses that anger to act, and the act is that God sends his only begotten son, Jesus, for us and for our salvation, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to reach out his hand and to touch the paralyzed places in us. In the hand of Jesus, God reaches out, Even God's anger is for us and for our good. The living water that pours out of the fire hydrant of God's heart is able to save us from all the deadly sins. It is able to restore life and not lose it. Thanks be to God.